0: Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna.
1: And me, Frederick. Today we sit down with Dominic Tarr to talk about P2P networking and secure scuttlebutt.
0: So today we're sitting with Dominic Tarr, who is a security auditor, at least authority, and also a protocol designer. He works on Scuttlebutt, which is a secure gossip protocol. So welcome to the show, Dominic. Hi, Anna. We're also here with Frederick. Hello. So we've started to ask guests uh, who come to the show a little bit about like why they're working on what they're working on. So I'm going to throw that your way. Why do you work on what you work
2: on? Well, um... Once upon a time, uh, this, maybe this something like about ten years ago, I was living in um, in the forest. I was like living in a hammock, being a hippie, basically. And after like a year of that, I decided this was too easy. I needed to do something like challenging. And I had two ideas, and one was to build a boat and sail it to th- Southeast Asia, and then see how that went. And the other idea was to do this like computer stuff. And I had some vague ideas, and of like something I could build. And I decided that by the time I was 35, now I'm 36, if I did the boat thing, I'd look back and I'd wonder if those computer ideas would have worked. But the other way around, I was like, I could definitely still go sailing if I wanted to. And the computer thing was obviously harder. So I I decided to do that.
0: How old were you when that happened?
1: 25
2: or 26 or something like
0: that.
1: So we want to sit down and talk today about P2P networking. It's something that we've talked a lot about on this show before, but in passing almost. like It's a an assumption that we have that people just know what peer-to-peer networking mm-hmm. is and how it works. And uh, I don't think that's necessarily true. So I want to explain some of the basics, but I also want to dig into some of the, the tricky topics of this area. And you have, obviously, some, some peer-to-peer networking mm-hmm. background with Scuttlebots. So... Maybe just as a brief starter, like what is Scuttlebutt? What is Scuttlebot? And, uh, you know, what are these different projects and sort of how do they do networking?
2: Well, uh, Scuttlebutt is the protocol. Uh, Scuttlebot is, it's just named, that's like, that's the server that runs the protocol. So it's just, it's just like, that isn't really the name of the project. That's just the name of like one particular Git repo that is called that for like a historical like, it's a historical accident so um don't worry about scuttlebot scuttlebot is the important thing
1: but i think for developers it's still like if you want to learn like a lot of people learn a protocol by reading through the code yeah so if you want to do that scuttlebot is the right place to look or it's, is there a better place it's to look? now
2: called ssb-server all right but uh there's we have a lot of code it's all on the github slash ssbc that stands for secure scuttlebot consortium
0: Going back to that though, where does scuttlebutt come from? Where does it start?
2: Yeah, so scuttlebutt is a nautical term um, oh, for, yeah. for gossip. Um, scuttle means open or opened, and butt is a barrel, so it's the opened barrel of today's drinking water. So it's like a water cooler, but on a you know, pirate ship.
0: And then what what is the history of the scuttlebutt protocol?
2: Well, I so I actually got the term from the, the word scuttlebutt from an Amazon paper. This is sort of what led me to working on peer to peer stuff. So I read about, I read this paper called uh, DynamoDB, which is a system Amazon built to build the shopping cart and stuff like that. DynamoDB is basically it's a peer to peer protocol inside of their data center. So the architecture is qu- quite analogous to how BitTorrent works. They have a cluster of nodes that are part of the network. And they all gossip with each other about just to keep track of the information of what are the nodes and what are their IP addresses that are in the network. And then each node takes responsibility for part of the data set. It's pretty much exactly like a DHT. Yeah, I would highly recommend listeners to read the Dynamo paper. Um, It's very clearly written and covers a whole range of concepts.
0: So that was was a paper that you stumbled upon. We'll add that to the show notes. No, it was recommended to me. Oh, it was recommended yeah. to you, and then what happened from there?
2: So basically, I Scuttlebutt, the protocol, and Amazon was just like I implemented. I implemented a thing based on ideas like that, and then I like messed around with a whole bunch of other stuff. I got to the point where I had learned enough about data replication and databases, and a bit of cryptography and stuff that I wanted to build some kind of um, generic application platform, like just sort of some sort of system that you could build wide range of applications on. On top of that, were all decentralized, and I was originally thinking like a t- of a target use case, sort of more like Wikipedia, because you know Wikipedia feels like it's really like one of the most positive things on the internet. I started tr- was trying to explore ways of doing um, like generic replication, and I sort of came to the conclusion that it was much more—you could much more efficiently replicate like structured data than just arbitrary data. And the simplest structure I knew was an append-only log. One day I realized that um that social networks basically mapped to this. And s- people like using social networks, even they probably like it too much. But that gives you like a story about like this is how the, you know, this is you build this, it will grow because people are addicted to using this kind of thing. You know, like the whole decade before blockchain became a thing like every application was just a social media application so um you could build all of them using this approach
0: mm. so you scrapped the wikipedia yeah idea. i was
2: just like put that back and put that back in the pile i'll just i'll just focus on like the simpler thing that still does 85 percent interesting
0: so like you actually had a use case right off the bat like or did the use case come later
2: um well No, it was like the the breakthrough was realizing that you could build a a social media thing on it. Because one of the things I was like, I was thinking is like, if you have this decentralized system, you need some way of discovering the stuff that's on it.
1: I want to get back to Scuttlebutt a little bit later Mm -hmm. and dig into some more specifics there. But let's take a step back and and look a little bit at networking Mm -hmm. and explain some concepts. So you've already mentioned some of these things. Let's start at a DHT. What is a DHT?
0: What does it stand for?
1: Uh,
2: DHT stands for distributed hash table. Uh, so it, you can, a DHT works by, you get all the nodes in a network form into a circle and then content of the network is distributed around the circle evenly. So if, if you keep track of a couple of nodes randomly scattered around the circle, when you want to look for something, you go and ask the node that's nearest piece of content you're looking for. And then they tell you either they give it to you if they have it, or they know about a node that's nearer to it. So they tell you about that node and they say, go ask that guy.
0: And this is like this has been around for a long time. This is back when like you were doing kind of peer-to-peer downloading that yeah, would have been used um, at that time, I, I think guess.
2: The I'm not sure exactly. So disclaimer, I am a DHT skeptic. Oh. But I think they sort of came around in like round two thousands. Yeah. Um the there's a bunch of problems which I'd be happy with DHTs that I'd be happy to explain, but I think it's like BitTorrent came out, which was like 2005 or something, if I recall. Didn't use DHTs at the start, but got DHTs a little while. There was something called Cord, I think was the first one that one went event early 2000s, and then Cadmiumia was the improvement on that, which is now sort of the. Do
0: you know if gold like standard. Nutella used it?
2: Uh, I believe Nutella didn't have
1: a didn't. DHT. Okay,
0: so that um, was sort of pre yeah DHT.
1: So you you mentioned Kadimlia there, or Kademlia, depending on I, I've never heard what the correct pronunciation is. I always say Kademlia myself, but it might be Kademlia. I have no idea. But um Kademlia I would associate with a discovery protocol. Mm-hmm. And DHTs and discovery is very tightly linked, but they're not necessarily the same. Like you can use a discovery protocol just to find one peer and and ping it and you know, do something if you want to do that. Yeah. But obviously they're kind of usually used to build the DHT or you you could
2: use a DHT for discovery, but you could use it for other things as well.
1: So what would you how would you explain a discovery protocol? What's the purpose?
2: Well in this case we're just looking for you mean discovery to find other peers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So any system there's usually a peer is like let's let's start by defining what a peer is. That's a good so start. In a peer-to-peer protocol Basically, you've got a, a system, a bunch there's a bunch of computers in it. And the thing that makes the difference between a peer-to-peer protocol and a server client protocol is that in the server client protocol, there's like a specialized role, and one computer has it, and that's the server. And then the other ones, the clients, like connect to that. And then the server does some one important thing, and the clients do some other less important thing or something like this. And a peer-to-peer um, system all the clients are roughly equal. They more or less have the same capabilities and can replace each other.
0: So there's no central hub. It's not like, what is it called? Hub and spoke, I think is the term, right? When there's like a hub and then the client and server. Sure. The server is the hub and the clients are the spokes. In this case, it's more like a mesh.
2: Yes. Well, There's different shapes that a network can be in. Okay. For example, you can have like a, like there's a ring-shaped network like a DHT, you could have like a lattice or like grid shape networks. So one example of a of a lattice shaped network is actually cell phone towers are arranged in a hexagonal lattice.
0: Oh
2: wow. Um they have like directed like you know the antennas like shoot some frequencies that way. Okay, I'm just de- I'm gesturing in like a triangular shape. <laughs> and then they're arranged so they don't overlap, so they don't collide with each other. And hexagonal lattice means that circular radiations of radio waves have minimal overlap. It doesn't really make sense to have um, like a lattice sort of network when it's just like computer connections over TCP. But another really good structure is actually just randomness. Like if peers are just connected randomly to each other, this is like actually a really good design because peers don't need to be clever. First of all, it's just like really easy to just connect randomly. If you have a, ne- a design that works with random properties then it'll probably gonna it's probably gonna work Mm. like you don't really need to um it's just easy to ensure it works and if nodes like drop out
1: crash and that sort of stuff it'll still work very very resilient so but in that scenario like if i'm just connected to random peers and i want to send a message to anna not a random person how do I find her? Like, how does my message make it th- there?
2: Well, you've you've uh, you're assuming that you want to build some kind of routing thing. So there's there's various ways that people have designed systems to to do this kind of thing. Yeah, I have avoided routing designs because I don't think they're the best basis for the for the first layer. Because you'd need to basically, you can't route to. Directly to, to so if you could if you knew is it that route Anna was online right now and you knew how to contact her you could connect through you could just make a connection except then there's other things that throw spanners in the works like um, um, there aren't enough IP IP addresses left mm-hmm. so there's a shortage of there's only four billion IP addresses and there's more devices than that now and it basically means that like imagine if there weren't enough telephone numbers and some people had the same telephone number it would mean that calling you can't really call those people reliably Um, so imagine a world where there are two types of telephones more expensive telephones that could receive phone calls and then cheap telephones that couldn't receive calls but could dial calls and so businesses would buy the ones that could receive calls and regular people would buy the ones that couldn't receive calls and this is how this is the situation with the internet you can't really call your friends except by calling a service for, like, introducing your friends. Mm. That could be fixed um, with IPv6. Um, however, it's still been, like, 20 years, and we're still waiting for IPv6 to be um, fully rolled out. So I'm just assuming that's not going to happen.
0: But let's go back to this idea, because I think we – you sort of said send something to me, and I think we went in the path of r- routing.
1: Yeah. I'm I'm actually curious uh, uh or like I want to dig into two aspects of that question. One is is the discovery part and what 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 are we trying to discover in a discovery protocol? Are we trying to discover random peers or anyone at all to connect to or are we trying to discover any specific peer?
2: Well, I mean, I'm trying to answer why why it's so hard, why there isn't just a simple answer because if there was, it would exist because that's what everyone wants.
1: Yeah. But the other thing, and you mentioned this already as well, and we've actually talked, we've explained this briefly on the show before, which is gossiping. Mm-hmm. So the dumb answer kind of of how I get my message to Anna is I send it to everyone. Yes. And they send it to everyone. Yep. And then hopefully it gets there. Oh, that would definitely work. There's a very high <laughs> chance that that will work.
0: But then there'd be a lot of gossip out there. Yes. And I just have to go through all the gossip to find out what is yeah. actually sent yeah. to me.
2: On, If there's some sort of ways of like limiting how far things spread, this would totally work. Very simple and very resilient. There are protocols that are for routing, but because of this shortage of phone numbers, you need to have a, a server to introduce you. So making a fully peer-to-peer connection nowadays is more like being set up on a date than just calling someone, but like you need a third party involved.
0: Okay. So then is it still really peer-to-peer?
2: Well it depends on how central that third party is.
1: In many cases, that third party is just your router. So like I can connect directly to your router, but that assumes that your ISP isn't like interfering at some point where in many countries, the ISP controls mm-hmm. the IP yeah, and then you're getting some sub subnets of that. Well, there can be multiple layers yeah.
2: of net uh, before you get to your thing. So it can be um, more difficult, or less difficult. It depends. Um, if you're, at the same like pl- if you're on the same like Wi-Fi, you can just connect directly because you're on. You can just see each other's IP addresses, basically.
0: But going back to what you just said, it was sort of like it sort of de- if if there's a third party, it sort of depends on how kind of decentralized you need it to be because mm-hmm. that third party could be one of ten or one of a hundred or one of a thousand or it's like a peer as well who has a different role.
2: Well, I think it it just depends on. um who has the power to run those third parties and what their motivation is. So, for example, if you know, your application has one of these introducers that the developers of it run, um, that's not very decentralized. But if anyone who's enthusiastic about the protocol can run one of these introducers, and I'd say that is decentralized, it's just you have some nodes that do a little bit more. Some t- protocols have a thing called a super node, um, where you have special nodes that do extra stuff. It just you know it's a spectrum it makes it a little bit less centralized, but you yeah. know it doesn't it's not a deal breaker i think
1: and uh, there's when you're speaking about routing, there's an additional problem other than nats, which is routing in itself is an np hard problem. Just finding <laughs> a path to someone is like the the traveling salesman problem. How do you find the shortest path from where you are to where you want to go through a set of other nodes
0: when it's yeah. not mapped for you?
1: before even if you have the map it's it's why is uh, it so
0: hard
2: well that's finding the optimal path yeah
1: finding like an
2: adequate path is not necessarily yeah
1: okay so yeah exactly and what is an adequate path and and all of these issues are are pretty tricky to deal with and like figuring out the prime like the correct parameters and like this is something that like lightning network has been struggling with a lot of like how do i find where i'm sending my money and they have to do routing. Um, because the other person, the receiver, actually has to sa- sign off on something and send it back. Um, so um, they're kind of going with this hub and spoke model, uh, just assuming there will be some kind of centralized entity that it doesn't have any power other than the ability to censor you, but that's still quite a lot of power. Mm-hmm. And then you have like supernode structures where there's like maybe 10 supernodes and not just one. And then you can kind of gradually <laughs> build up other maps, but yeah.
2: So I think the the smart thing to do here isn't try to um you know squeeze a um routing protocol out of a stone, but just to avoid the hard problems just like accept that there are some things that there is an easy solution to try to design systems that just avoid that um so for example, one problem that you haven't mentioned yet but is uh one of the things that is like the blocker that enables a bunch a bunch of stuff is. How do you map a public key to a peer? This is the thing. It's like if you know what public key um, represents a particular person, then you can establish a secure communication with them. But if you don't know, then you really have no idea if you're talking to the right person. So uh, an encrypted channel is kind of meaningless unless you know that this is the key you're meant to be using. This is one of the problems that's like once we solve this, it will suddenly become easy to... Do things like routing.
0: I mean, in that what you just described, then it's also like identity, right? It's like yeah. matching identity to some number. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's lots of projects that are working on that. But what's the real challenge of that? Like, what is the what's? Is it just because there's kind of no way to do without like some centralized database?
2: Uh no, I disagree. Um, I think the so I have my own horse in this race. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I think the the challenge is really just make a system that people use. And that people you know use it in a way they like that they don't really think about it, they're just like i'm now I'm talking to this person, that's who I want to talk to
0: but how do you make it like the question there is like how do how do you you just sort of said this is like the big problem that still hasn't been solved
2: yeah so so once upon a time, there was this thing called p g p pretty good privacy, and it used this idea called the web of trust, so this was like back in the early nineties it was. Uh, it was a big deal back then. Now everyone pretty much agrees, including its creator, that it's like horribly unusable. And you would go to this, this is actually people actually did this. They'd go to these key signing parties where they'd go and then they would check each other and be like, Yes, you are really this key. And then they would sign each other's keys and then that would go on a record that this person acknowledged that person. And then you could be like, if you trusted this person that well, they said these people were things. So you could kind of figure out who was mapped to who. It was like very decentralized. Um and but
0: very time intensive.
2: Yeah, and I've been led to believe that some of the key signing parties were attached to actual parties and some um may not have been. I'm not really sure. I've never been to a, a key signing party. It
0: sounds like this is one step away from like wizard hats and <laughs> oh yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, Maybe
0: not one step away at all.
2: <laughs> but it, anyway, it, it doesn't to me I like like that idea seemed like it was basically sound, but it didn't really sound very fun to me. And when I came to the to this space, it was really, like post, mm. um, Web 2.0. And so Web 2.0 figured out a whole bunch, um, like a playbook basically of how you get people to use your application. And the first thing really is you make it fun, and you don't ask people to think about it. You just like give people buttons to push, to click on, and get the feedback from other users and stuff like this. Um, you go for like viral growth and that sort of stuff. But the thing with Web 2.0 is you can interpret social networks and stuff created by web entrepreneur you can interpret them as a web of trust the users don't think about don't explicitly think about it when they're using it but if you follow 300 people on twitter and then there's like 300 million people that you don't follow so you've said very explicitly like these are the people i trust all those other people I'm not saying anything about them. Maybe I explicitly distrust them, but it's like you'll definitely say I'm willing to receive whatever these people post. You can interpret this as web, as a web of trust. And interestingly, it's more about lots of small interactions than one big key signature thing. So you can also look at it, look at the sort of thing. as like you know we spend a lot of time nowadays interacting with entities with other things that are sending us messages over the internet like i got invited to this podcast by e- email from people i'd never met um i read the email and then decided oh this is a real human
0: we were introduced
2: yeah we were introduced exactly so that's a way of trust it was easy because i knew that liz wasn't Just in a long con, where it's like now you are going to harvest my kidneys. Um, Come record on our podcast, but really we want your
0: kidneys. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't really. I really wasn't. I really wasn't
2: that worried about that. Yeah,
0: (laughs) that's interesting. Yeah, so like that idea of like the social network as already kind of having this web of trust and the friendship stuff. Like that was all that so far has been built over like centralized systems yeah. and databases which is held by single entities.
1: I, I really like Keybases approach to this, which is they build a web of trust and but like you go on it's still centralized, but you go onto their platform and you mm-hmm. look at a user and then you can see this user has verified like with a a cryptographic signature. Mm-hmm that this is my GitHub account, mm-hmm. this is my Twitter account, this is my Bitcoin address, this is whatever. And you can add a bunch of different of these like identities mm-hmm. to your account. And so I can go and check someone and say, like, this person hasn't verified anything anywhere, I think they're trying to scam me. Or like, this person has verified their GitHub and Twitter and I, and I know them there so I know mm-hmm. this is the same person yeah. and therefore I can, like, follow them and trust them on this platform as well. Okay. So you kind of, you can merge that trust from other platforms up to Keybase. Yeah.
0: But here what you're also describing is, like, then taking that the next step and saying, like, well, the soft, the, the sort of ideas are there for, like, a truly kind of decentralized peer-to-peer thing re- mm-hmm. relying in a way on this is it relying on a web of trust not
2: really well uh, you just need to know that this identity is this um okay. that this key is this idea od- is this yeah. identity um we have trust is just one way of doing it that is just kind of very close to what humans already do
0: and that's why I, this sort of makes sense. Then and that's why you would then choose something like a social network, yeah. where there are needs to, or people are trusting each other, and then create that thing underneath. Yeah. So you're kind of yeah. So you're basically taking an idea. This is interesting because like it comes really from Web two, and then you're like, bringing it back to the more yeah. decentralized
2: direction. Yeah, yeah. Because the 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 like user experience Should on be the same. using Twitter dot com is decentralized. Mm-hmm. Like from the you look at. The thing, and you only see the people that you've followed and the idiots stuff' have retweeted and stuff like that. Um, not everyone doesn't see the same Twitter.com. They'll see different ones. That, it's centralised as an implementation detail um, that causes a lot of problems. And I'm sure that when um, the way of implementing this in a peer-to-peer way is, like, all the details are really ironed out, then people will be like, why did even do even do it that way? Like, you have to have a whole data centre and a big building in San Francisco and... Spend millions of dollars on, like...
0: Then again, I mean, there have been attempts. Ma- what is it, Mastodon?
1: Yeah, but and it's Mastodon is, like, federated. Yeah, Mastodon
2: only gets halfway there. Okay. Yeah.
0: But I think the problem of it isn't that it's federated. The problem is it is it's not adopted as much. Yeah. And there's some issues of, like, replication of identity. Do you
1: know yeah, about this? Yeah, and that's, like, yeah. your federation issue. So in a completely de- decentralized way, and you're, you're controlling your I- own identity, I think there's less issues of that actually. But to your point, it's still about adoption and network effects. Twitter is popular because mm-hmm. Twitter is popular. There's no other reason. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know how do you win over network effects? And there, yeah. no one really knows. Like yeah. there, there's research that says that network, network effects suddenly die for no no apparent reason. Yeah. So that's that's like Friendster, what happened. Yeah. Who
0: remembers <laughs>
2: <Yeah>, friends? Exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i i think it, it doesn't really it's not something we have to like solve all in one um go because it doesn't come out of nowhere it's not just like one day everyone decided to use facebook it sort of built up from a smaller sad when the nation slowly expanded like you just have to find like who really really wants this and then who can you then who can expand out so it doesn't have to yeah. um like nothing goes 100 yeah. percent from zero
1: I want to go back a little bit to, you mentioned a lot of problems with uh, DHTs, and I want to dig into that oh, a little yeah. bit. So the, on, on like peer discovery in particular, especially in, a, in this sort of untrusted setup, DHTs and peer discovery remain an issue. Like DHTs are attackable. Yep. You can fill a DHT with garbage data and it becomes impossible to find like yep. valid nodes. It has a bunch of these problems. You know, the, the way that blockchains, like all blockchains that I know of solve it, is just have boot nodes. So yeah. maybe we can start by explaining what boot nodes are and then, like, what are these problems? How do we work around them? Does does SSB do anything around this that well, helps? Uh, you just have
2: a bootstrap node. You just have a list of nodes that are sort of built into the software that's like, when you want to start the network, you connect to one of these nodes.
0: And it will always be a real node.
2: Yeah. This is basically yeah. like yeah.
0: verified account.
2: Yeah. Yeah, um you could like if someone compromises those nodes, you can you could like reconfigure different nodes or something like this. It's just really to help things get started. It is a like mild point of centralization, but it doesn't ruin the whole thing. And then they'll tell you about some other pairs and then you connect to those pairs. And um yeah, but the, the problem the problems with DHGs I think stem from the fact that all of the members in the network, all of the peers in the network interact in a very uniform way and they don't have any way of deciding who not to interact with they just like they just have to execute the same protocol with anyone who connects to them and that means they have no way of like avoiding malicious peers, or even identifying or telling if the pair is malicious so that means so you know someone wants to come in and scan the network and see who's holding what or something they can easily do that if someone wants to um make a peer that is like um one this is called an eclipse attack you you generate a peer that looks like it it might take a little bit, bit of effort but it ends up standing in front of the peer that's actually meant to be holding that content and then you block that content or something it's not like a hugely effective attack it's just like an annoyance a sort of a denial of service sort of thing but
1: once once you get into blockchains it can be a pretty significant attack yeah because now suddenly you have one peer that's Holding money or expecting to see some behavior, or if it's a mining node and you eclipse it, then they're not; their blocks aren't being propagated, or whatever it may be. So you can actually cause some real damage. Yeah,
2: and blockchain made this made security, security computer security, really interesting because because now there's like an easy to reason about financial value on like everything. Now there's like a dollar value for like how much hashing power it takes to like reverse a password or something like that. Like you can say that well if you could get, you know, these secondhand uh um Bitcoin miners and use that to break passwords, then you can actually say exactly how much that costs. Mm. Attacks that, you know, hacking into someone's machine or something that would have been pointless, like you could have done it but it would have been pointless. Now if the answer is oh, well you just steal their Bitcoin, it's like suddenly all of this um all of these hacks become monetizable, so it's created a whole new set of opportunities.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Oddity. laughs> but so just to go back to what you said, DHTs, you explained some of the issues around it, but do boot nodes fix for that? Or are they just sort of like, that's that's a reset button? No, right
2: um, boot nodes just um, provide a way to get started in the network. To join the network, you normally need to know some other yeah. peer in the network and that they know you perhaps. So a boot node is, is a way where it's just like, here's a fixed list of things. If it, you could have another thing where it's like your friend invites you, or you have to, I don't know, go to something or something. De-
1: depending on your use case, there may also be a fallback for if you find a DHT that's awfully polluted and you can't find a real node yep. in it, you can fall back to the boot node and say, "Okay, I'm just going to sing from you and not talk to these other people." Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're like, if your DHT is that polluted, you're running into a bunch of other problems.
0: Is there examples of DHTs that are still used today?
2: Oh yeah, lots. Yeah, like
1: most, most Bitcoin, Ethereum, and
0: uh, oh wow,
2: <laughs> most other Th- that would be um,
0: considered a DHT. But but,
2: but Tarn, yeah. I think the best. Uh, but I mean, Ethereum has a DHT, but I don't really, I don't really think it needs one. Like the most blockchains have a thing where there's one blockchain and everyone has a copy of it, so any full node is as good as any other. I think you could get by with just a gossip protocol. Um, I know Ethereum has a a dht last i checked bitcoin didn't have one. Oh, maybe it doesn't
1: i'm not sure ethereum for sure does yeah and ethereum if they're planning does. on doing other stuff with it like i want to get to this a little bit but like uh, announcing like in the dht you can store data as yeah. well and so they want to store like peer information in the dht itself so i speak this protocol or i'm willing to serve like clients and yeah other things like that
0: where like where does the dht live in the kind of stack it's a
1: very low level networking, like before you're really talking about blockchain stuff. Okay, <laughs> just in how you deal with peers.
0: So, like under the EVM. No. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can picture what it looks like. It's but it's nothing to do with like the block headers and the hashes around that. eh?
1: No.
2: Okay. So each peer has a location and in a ring, they connect to a couple of peers that are near them a few more pairs that are a middle distance from them and some more pairs that are like a long way from them so that if someone asks them, oh, do you know where this thing is? Then you can direct them to either like close or like at least moderately close or like kind of like, and if they're like far away, you can say like go somewhere like way the hell over there and then they can continue asking and eventually they find their place. Cool. So
1: does SSB have a DHT or what do you do?
2: uh SSB does not have a DHT.
1: Um,
2: I always explicitly intended to avoid DHTs in SSB because of the aforementioned um problems. And I felt like everyone sort of like puts the DHT into their protocol as like the hammer that solves every problem. And I wanted to prove that you can build a totally viable protocol without DHTs in it. So Scuttlebutt uses a different kind of structure to like organize. The content and organize the peers and stuff like that, and that's just the human social network. And this is also like a globally connected graph, where, well, pretty much close enough to globally connected. Um, it has some intre- it has some interesting statistical properties, where like, um, you know, some people have lots of friends or like celebrities, and so that that branches like long distances. Like you have friends and friends of friends, and most of the people that you want to talk to are actually your friends of friends or your friends already. Like, when is the last time you met someone that wasn't a friend of a friend? Like, sometimes you meet people purely randomly, and that's like when you bump into them in person, that sort of stuff. Or, or invite them to your podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, but this was actually a friend of a friend <laughs> that's um, invitation, so um, that I don't proves think my we've point. had any
0: complete strangers on our podcast yet.
2: Yeah, sometimes, so, I mean, sometimes you do bump into completely random people, but you also walk past hundreds of people every day on the street and you don't talk to them when when there's a completely random meeting that's like a special uh co- you know some kind of like cosmic destiny thing like it's not that's not the typical um case so yeah. the typical case is like a friend of a friend
1: so i'm i'm curious yeah that that's interesting so instead of having this kind of constructed network topology the network topology in in a sense is determined by your social graph mm-hmm. But that means this social graph would have to be public, right? Yeah. Um,
2: so far, um, I so I have I have ideas for how to like hide this um, better. But so far, um, I mean, we're experimenting. Um, we don't really. But now we've learned quite a bit. But we're trying a totally new thing. I could yeah. come on another podcast and talk about all the ways you could <laughs> you could hide you could make this more private. And you know, I think a big way that history technology and stuff progresses As one person does a thing and then someone later comes along and is like well that's stupid and um makes it even makes it what makes a way better version of that so i'm hoping someone will come um along and say that scuttlebutt was stupid and then make something yeah. much better and that'll be great because i won't have to maintain it <laughs> uh,
1: assuming it is public right now I, it, it doesn't feel like um like you say you never t- really talk to a stranger so mm-hmm. If you if you hedge like you just had your own social graph and kind of cut it at some arbitrary limits, mm-hmm. and then to be, go beyond that li- limit, you need some sort of introduction. Yes, yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. Yeah. yeah,
0: does SSP use boot nodes? Then do you have some sort of like early list that you start from?
2: Uh, kind of. So we have a thing called a pub server, which is it's the same code as an ordinary peer. Um, it's pub as in short for public, but also pub as in, like, an English like, public house, like a bar, where it's, like, a place you can go that is always the same place, and you can come, like, any time of the day, and your, your, your friends might be there. Pubs are basically, like, anyone can just run one, and it's exactly the same code as an Ordinary here. It's just you run it on with a public address so people can always connect to it, um, and anyone can run one of these pubs. And if they run a pub, they can give out invite codes, and then people can use those to come into the network. Basically, they're the bootstrap nodes, but we don't have an official list of them uh, built into the protocol. It's like you have to go and get one from somewhere. Um, You can be onboarded from another peer using the protocol or from one of these. So it's a little bit... A little bit more democratized than just like built into the thing, but basically the same idea.
0: What, is, what does somebody do in a pub or at a pub or well, on a pub? There's not really there's not in pool. or
2: at. It's just like another peer. It just replicates messages. Okay. So when a pub follows you, they start replicating your messages and your friends' messages. And so if you connect to a pub that follows your friends, then you can get their messages from them. So that's how it worked so far. We've got a new design that um, – because people were a bit confused by what the pubs did. And so – The new idea is to change it so the pub is just represented as, like, another device that the human owns. So, you know, um, I have a laptop and a cell phone. People are familiar with people to having both a laptop and a cell phone. But um, some people also have a server, and that's just another computer that they own um, or control.
0: And if you have a computer, if you have the server, then basically what would happen is uh, you would just copy all of the stuff that you have and all of the friends and everybody who's yeah touch base with you and that becomes then like a but in this case are you talking about data are you actually talking about like replication of data or are you still talking about replication of peer addresses
2: replication of data okay because scuttlebutt uses gossip it doesn't actually need routing as long as you connect to a mutual friend my computer doesn't need to connect directly to you for Mm. you to get my messages but you can get them from someone else and they could bump around like any number of mutual friends until and that's what you, you mean by them. data
0: like it sits there it's yeah. sort of you send some data and it sits on the friend and then yeah. i can access it if i want to
1: yeah i'm curious if you've looked into gossip sub at all the new sort of protocol or i think so i mean they're they're working on it but i don't know if they actually like invented it um but basically where instead of gossiping everything to everyone mm-hmm. someone can declare and like i want to hear gossip about yes this person yep. and then they only receive gossip about that
2: yeah um i have i'm definitely in communication with the ipvs people and we meet at conferences and things like that and discuss protocol designs i've been trying to influence the direction of gossip sub and there's some elements that i figured out in secure scuttlebutt that were sort of using similar things there's this is thing called um tree it has influenced both of us the main difference we have so far is that scuttlebutt uses logs so with ipfs you broadcast like the latest thing and if you're not online when something is broadcast you might not get it if you come back on and with scuttlebutt if something is it's just appended so if you come back online after being offline you get everything that was sent so scuttlebutt doesn't work very well for things that are like only the latest thing matters. Like you always get the history, yeah. but it works really well for
1: that. Interesting.
0: I guess it, the way you just described this and the social graph and sharing this message, like there's nothing private in your system. Then is uh, there?
2: No, um, that's not correct. Okay, so there is. So correct the, me. The the basic <laughs> thing is you have this log of messages that you've created, and by default, the messages are public. I kind of like on Twitter, but also like on Twitter, you have a a private message as well. And a private message is just a public message, except it's encrypted. So it's encrypted, and then only the recipients can read it. If they have the key. If they have the key. And the neat thing about it is that everyone who sees it tries to decrypt it, and only the people that it's for will successfully decrypt it. Mm. And because everyone tries to decrypt it, it means that no one can actually know who it's really for, Um, except for the person except for the person yeah exactly so think of it like instead of sending like a letter like if you post a letter to your friend your friend can only your friend will read the letter but the post office will know who you send their letter to and scuttlebutt it's more like you put a note on your door um you just hammer it to your front door and everyone can come by and see that you've written a note um but only the person that it's actually for can read the note Mm. So, no one actually knows who it's for um, except for the person who receives it. So, it's more, it has, protects the metadata. And I think that's really important nowadays. It's actually more important to protect the metadata than to protect the content because the um, content is quite hard to analyze automatically, but the metadata is really easy. So, if you know who someone is talking to, you can be like, well, these people are influencing each other. So, if this one is trouble, these people we should watch them as well but if you could see the content of what people are saying like it's hard to see to say if you know just from particular words and the content whether or not that is sarcasm or a joke or whatever like it it, you actually need like a human who understands the context to look at that yeah computers still can't do that very well
0: Hmm. i like that i like that idea i have for some reason as you were describing it like putting some message in a public place Mm -hmm. physically and then having someone who has, like, special, I don't know, psychedelic glasses that can actually, like, read it because they have the key, the special glasses, Mm -hmm. and actually everyone else can walk right by it and have no idea. Like, they can look at it, but they'll have no idea what's in it. And they don't know who it's for. Even though there's this one person with these really weird glasses, like, (laughs) getting really excited about the note. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. So often there's a term pub-sub that comes up, has, is that related to anything that we've already talked
1: about? We talked a little bit about Gossip Sub, which is sort of the, the decentralized equivalent in some way. PubSub assumes that you have publishers and subscribers, right? And that's what it sort of stands for. And that's true in a decentralized setting as well. Like, but But... For the publishers to be able to reach the subscribers directly, you need to solve the routing problem. You need to route directly and like they need to have direct or like even if not direct connections, then some routed connections to each other so that I can say, I'm going to publish this message for these subscribers. And you can have one-to-one or many-to-many or one-to-many channels and all these kinds of things. But you run into all of these other problems if you want to have a pub sub system. So I think the more interesting thing in like what blockchains like Polkadot and Ethereum two and all these other uh, systems that have multiple actors, um, they are now looking into how can we modify our gossip protocols so that we're not gossiping transactions and blocks to everyone because it's not relevant to everyone anymore. I just want to gossip these blocks or transactions to this particular shard because that's the only one they're relevant for. But they still want to use gossip because they don't know who the validators or who, who the full nodes are for this shard. Hmm. So they, they, they want to just gossip everything out, but they want to be able to say like, only these people get it. Otherwise you overload the whole network.
0: In a way, can you then use that for like defining roles? Like if you have different entities with different roles, they would have special keys. It would allow them to see the secret messages in a pool of gossip
1: yeah and that's the idea but there's another crux of that matter and and that is how you do peer discovery in a topic-based way so we were mentioned briefly like in ethereum one we're talking about uh, adding data to the dht to say like i am willing to serve like clients uh, but ideally I am able to find someone who serves like clients without having to go through this DHT because it has problems. Um, but that's, as far as I know, an unsolved problem.
2: I just remembered um, one of the other problems with DHTs. To find a thing, you may have to connect to a lot of um, a logarithmic number of nodes, which can take a while if you have a bad connection. Um, lookups can be quite slow. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. And I think actually, In the blockchain world, we're actually a little bit spoiled by this. And we're kind of saved by the fact that blockchains aren't popular and aren't used by anyone. Because uh, (laughs) there's so few (laughs) nodes that we can pretty easily find the whole network and look through all the nodes in a reasonable amount of time. But if you look at like BitTorrent that has probably millions of entries in its DHT, it's a completely different story. Yeah.
2: Well, you probably barely need a DHT in that case.
1: Probably
0: not. <laughs> no. So we've covered a couple of the challenges of sort of decentralized networking, but like with what's been created now, and specifically what you've been working on, what's what's still a challenge there?
2: I think it's a matter of like layers. Like once you have solved the identity mapping problem, then things like messaging becomes much much more simple. It's just in the things that were the like obvious next steps in a centralized web were different to what is actually the simplest to build of most obvious things in a decentralized web. So, you know, first in the traditional web you had like websites, then you had like GeoCities and then it took quite a while before people discovered sort of blogs and then social networks, but I think in decentralized world it's actually easier to go back the other way. So, a social peer-to-peer thing was actually like so this is actually the best starting point. And then we can use that to get to these other things. Um, You'll probably go other places.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us about decentralized networking and what you've been working on. Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you for having me. Thank you very much.
0: And to our listeners, thanks for listening.
1: Thanks for listening.